Welcome to Fumpale Podcast, where we are unpacking opinions and changing destinations. I am your host, Shirley Altador, where each week we will chat about how to rise strong out of all types of obstacles that come with relationships. Through personal life experiences and discussions ranging from infidelity, trust, forgiveness, sex, heartbreak, self-love, and so much more. I am passionate and obsessed to provide guidance to every woman to create a better life. Let's dive in, pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. With me, your virtual girlfriend. And today, as we start an episode of Storytime, last week we just ended season three, well, actually two weeks ago, but we have a special guest with us today, and her name is Christiana Hilberg, and she is a content creator, avid connector, freelance mentor. She has 10 years of experience in the client experience industry and is driven to help all women that she comes in contact with unlocking their potential and succeed. As a mentor, Christiana focuses to empower women to start a side hustle or leave their nine to five job completely to become their own boss. Christiana, welcome to the show. And thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. How are you today? I am doing so well, and I am so excited to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. I am too. Each interview, I'm like super psyched. And so like you would have think I won money every time I'm interviewing somebody and I'm, I'm talking to people I don't even know, but it's just the experience is phenomenal. You know, after speaking to all the interviewees, I thought my story was something. And as I start to listen to other people's stories, I'm like, Shirley, you have nothing. And oh, everyone, yes. <laughs> and you have no idea. Everyone's story is phenomenal in its own way. And I yes. applaud all my interviewees who come on to find the strength and to make themselves so vulnerable to share their story because society always makes it, you don't normalize that. You know, no, you need to act like your life is perfect and you have no issues. We all know that's not the case. Oh, yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And that's why as a fellow podcaster myself, that's why I started my own podcast. I'm like, every human that I know and come in contact with has an amazing story, like something about it that's just moving, touching. And so that's why I started my podcast. I'm like, share your story. Like, there's always going to be at least one person on the other end who's going to relate and it could transform their life. Like, it's so important to share our stories with the world. So I love that I get to share my story with you because I'm usually on the other end, listening to everybody else's stories, pausing my, you know, like muting my mic crying because I'm so moved, you know, and then I'm like, oh my God, I'll probably be crying in this episode talking about my own, but it's all, it's, it's great. It's okay. I want all those emotions come out. I want people to know this is a reality here. This is real life. You know, yeah. these interviews are never scripted. They're pretty much as we go. That's how I do them all. Mm-hmm. So if you need to cry, girl, you could cry. I get it. It is okay. 
<laughs> Good. And nobody else is going to hopefully see my ugly cry. They'll just hear no. it. So that's fine. <laughs> no, I always tell people, get as comfy as you need to. I'm here in my robe, you know, because people are listening to us. So they have no idea. Like, even though we're seeing each other, I'm here in my robe with my blanket. So, oh, yeah. you know, we're both comfy. So, you know, the voice just makes it sound all luxurious and nice. And we're in like some really big studio. Not... <laughs> Love it. Kitchen table, robes. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. All right. So start with us your story and how life has impacted you tremendously to be where you are today. Mm. You know, it's funny when people ask, you know, like, who are you? Or share with us your story. I was just telling somebody else this a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I always feel like I need to start when I was like five years old. I'm like, so we're sitting here for five years, you know, for five more hours talking about it. But I'm like, it really does start right as a child that like, and what you remember, like going back to your first memory and, and growing up and looking back and being like, whoa, like, you know, being, I'm going to be 31 this year. And so just kind of like, looking back at the past decades and, and seeing how I was shaped and now being able to look at it with like a 2020 vision instead of actually like experiencing it. But I think to save us all five hours of time, I will just start, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll save us a few years. So I'll just start with 18. But I remember I grew up in a super religious household. Um, my, both of my parents were raised Mormon. And so I naturally was raised in the LDS church. Um, if you don't know a lot about the LDS faith, it's a pretty strict religion um, with like a dress code, a uh, word of wisdom. So like no alcohol, um, just very, like I would say rule-based, at least that's, that's how I was raised, at least in my household. Like there were always rules that you followed. You don't really question the rules. You just follow them. And that was just life. And my parents got divorced when I was 14. And it wasn't really a shock to me. Like my dad was always kind of a icky human anyway. So it wasn't really surprising that they got divorced. It was almost like expected. Um, but that still doesn't take away from having to now go through the emotions of your dad's moving out, your mom becomes a single parent. And then that kind of just changed our entire family dynamic because now she was a single mom working from, you know, 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. And my brother and I were teenage. Well, I was a teenager. I was 14. He was 11. And so we just kind of had to, I wouldn't say fend for ourselves, but, but in a way, I mean, we would go to school, we would go to whatever sport we were in at the time, get home and kind of start dinner. And then when my mom got home, I mean, she was exhausted and we would just kind of relax or do our church things. And then it was the next day already, you know, and, and just kind of going through that. And I remember through those hard times and those years of my mom now having to be both roles, right? Now she's like the fun mom, but she now also has to be the disciplinarian. And she exactly. also now is the only income. Exactly. And I, now I have a question for you now. Yeah. You said only two. I was on a flight the other day and I met this awesome, phenomenal Mormon couple. I didn't even know they were Mormon until after. Yeah. But first of all, I wouldn't have assumed they were Norman because in my mind, I thought the dress code was like really, really strict. But I realized it's only when you go to temple. Mm -hmm. 
because I've been to Salt Lake City Mm-hmm. And we went to the church out there next to the church, kind of next to the archives. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. We've been to, I've been to that church and they were all properly dressed. So I assume that like, that's how they looked all the time. And I was told, no, when they're in temple, they have to look a certain way, but outside of temple, they could wear normal stuff. You know, they're not going to be wearing booty shorts, but mm-hmm. they can wear a dress a, a little bit above the knee and stuff like that. So that's one thing I did. And do so not every Mormon has a whole bunch of kids because this couple, one couple had six children. The other couple had seven children. And I asked the girl, I said, so why'd you stop at seven? She said to me, seven is the number of completion. I'm assuming you understand exactly what she means. Yes. We don't need to go into that here. If y'all interested, y'all can Google and find out what all that means. But she was like, seven is the number of completion. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> hilarious though because to me like when I hit third like I was like that's the number of completion for me we are done so maybe that's what she meant I'm not sure I don't know what she meant but she was like (laughs) she she didn't do a big explanation but she was like something about seven being the number of completion and I was just like okay and and it, it wasn't all like I need to go research but it was just interesting they were really cool really funny really down to earth so it was just I just wanted to bring that up because I'm like I was like wait how many kids does her mom have as a single mother that's the first thing that came to mind like oh my goodness single mom are we talking about six seven eight children oh girl <laughs> no my mom yeah we there was two and and that was probably that was good and maybe maybe she stopped it too because some sort of inner knowing knew that a, a down the road that would happen, or maybe yeah. higher power stopped her at two because they you know they knew or he knew she knew what she was going to go through. Who exactly. knows? True. Um, but with all of this being said, I always speak from my own my own experience, and just because I talk about the Mormon faith a lot or talk about like my experience in the church. Just to be clear, some of my absolute favorite humans on the planet are Mormon. Just because mm-hmm. I don't practice anymore means nothing in the sense of like, do I still love those people? 100%. Like my experience with the religion is only my experience and that's that. But yes, I think that um, coming back to like dress code really quick, there's some people too who take those guidelines as like Mm -hmm. very seriously. So if a guideline comes out and you say, you know, you really shouldn't wear something two inches above the knee, like that's the cutoff. Then some people take that extremely seriously, right? Other people are like, "Eh, it's a guideline. I'll just kind of do whatever feels best for me. Or I haven't been to the temple yet. So I don't really like need to, because once you go to the temple, you get your, the garments, which are like your underwear that you really can't wear anything over oh. that or else it shows. So like the, the sleeves are cap sleeve and then the, the bottoms are basically like this high above your knee. So yes, if you did choose to wear, you know, booty shorts or a kind of a shorter dress, those would show for sure. And so I think that it just kind of like depends, like you said, you know, this lady, or if these people had been in the, had been to the temple yet, or if they hadn't, and kind of just like how serious you are, just like any religion or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of how you interpret the guidelines, how they work for you. And then you just you just implement them in your life as you see fit. And you were right, because one thing I realized about the temple when I was on that trip is if you've had a coffee or alcohol, you can't go to temple. 
again, I don't really want to know the ins and outs and details of it, but you know, that's the guideline of the temple. But when it comes to Christianity, regardless what, uh, what you fall under, it all is the underlying body. Same thing. I was raised in a Christian home as well and very strict. My grandfather was a pastor and we were raised Baptist. Okay. Very strict. I mean, you don't talk about sex. You shouldn't be having sex until after marriage. Mm-hmm. All those falls under. First of all, I wasn't allowed to go to the movies. I wasn't allowed to go over friend's house to have like sleepovers. Yeah. No, sleepovers. none of that. Mm-mm, you don't do that. No. Mm-hmm. Why you want to go to somebody's house for what? What's wrong with your home right here? <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't do yeah. that. None of that. Mm-hmm. Going to a movie was a sin. You don't want to watch that stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything was under the S-I-N word. Everything yeah. was a sin. So I know what it means to be in a Christian home, regardless what denomination you fall under. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that that's kind of what led to, you know, the experiences that I then had, like Mm -hmm. leaving because when, and I would say that it started to really, oh gosh, spiral isn't the right word, but I started getting uh, like annoyed or angry because my mom went from being like this almost like more like a friend type parent to more of like a strict disciplinarian. And I did not understand her until I became a single mom myself years later. And I had no idea what she was going through and maybe why she was the way that she was. All I could see was, you know, being a 16 year old girl and being like, how dare you? I'm totally like that freaky Friday scene where it's like, you're ruining my life. And I remember like, feeling that being like, how dare you tell me that? Like, I can't stay out until 11. Like all of my other friends have (laughs) curfew, you know, don't have curfews. And like, now I do. And this is like so ridiculous, but I was also scared of disappointing her. I was scared of getting in trouble. I, so I think that those teachings from the religion, um, and her being so like dead set on discipline that I could not wait to get out. Like, and I remember turning 18 and I turned 18 a month before graduation. And I was like, Mm -hmm. just so you know, the day after graduation, like I am out of here. And she was like, great, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) go. Yeah. And I mean, she was super supportive. It's not that she wasn't, but she was also like, I mean, okay, whatever. And so I was packed up. Like my car was completely packed up. I was out of there. I think I even woke up and we had like a grad party, grad night. Mm -hmm. um, And we were up until like 4 a.m. And I remember like being like, okay, see ya. Been up all night, ready to get out of here. And she was like, okay, bye. Like, I'll talk to you later. And um, me just getting out of there as fast as I could. And I went to Phoenix because I grew up in Arizona and I grew up in a really tiny town in Northern, Northern Arizona. And I remember being like, Phoenix, here I come. Like my life is just going to be incredible and amazing. And I can't wait to get to the big city. And (laughs) oh my gosh, I. Not what you envisioned. Not what I envisioned, envisioned. And you know, a lot of that, again, goes back to kind of like my experience. I was never allowed to experiment for myself while I was in a safe environment. I mean, 
I really think that that would have been extremely beneficial for me and my personality. And I think a lot of people can relate is like, as soon as somebody tells you, don't look in the box, you want to look in the box, right? That's all you can think about. And so I've been growing up being told, don't think about sex. Don't talk about sex. Don't even like drugs are a nut, like don't even bring up drugs. Drugs is not, drugs aren't a thing like alcohol. Absolutely not stay away. Mm -hmm. So of course I've been told this for so many years and so often that what do you think I'm interested in knowing all about, right? I want to know sex, drugs, and rock and roll because I have never <laughs> like experimented or even been around people who had. So it was all extremely intriguing to me. And what I wish would have been taught to me, and now as a mother, I'm hoping that I can teach my kids this, is that like maybe why you wouldn't want to drink, right? Like, oh, when you drink, you your thinking becomes impaired. You, be, you can become extremely sick, alcohol poisoning. You could, like there's, there's other reasons behind why maybe you wouldn't want to drink or maybe why you wouldn't want to do drugs instead of just don't even think about it, don't talk about it. I wanna know why and like legitimate reasons or maybe even given like the opportunity to try it in a safe environment, instead of just being like out in the mm -hmm. wild with mm -hmm. everybody trying it and not understanding like how to protect myself or how to do it responsibly. Because you know, an 18 year old being responsible, like that, that's rare, maybe. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Now that I'm a mother, I, I agree with you. I feel like there's two parts to this. Number one, and I always will say this, my mother did the best that she could. I love her to death. I do. And now as I'm a mature adult and I have a very open mind and thinking, I realize she did what she knew. She did what she was comfortable with. Yes. Yes. You know, so I can't fault her from that. Mm -mm. There are things I may not have been happy with her about, but now it's time for me to unlearn these behaviors. And I'm yes. not going to be that way with my children. I exactly. agree with you 100 percent. My approach with my kids are so different when it comes to sex. Since they were little, I've introduced small doses of mm -hmm. sex to them, you know, age appropriate small doses. Yep. When it comes to drugs and alcohol, first of all, I would be a hypocrite to say drinking is wrong. Don't do it as I'm holding my glass of wine. Mm -hmm. My kids know I drink wine. And I have no shame. Yep, that's right. Your mother's having a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Anything can be unhealthy. Oh, yeah. Anything can be unhealthy if not learned how to balance properly. There's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine, having a drink. You just need to practice self-control. Rather mm -hmm. it's drugs, rather it's your credit cards, rather it's your money, rather it's sexual activity. Right. Everything. Anything can become unhealthy. So I agree with you 100%. It's the approach. And now as, as mothers... We're doing it differently, mm -hmm. I, you know, and I don't like to use the excuse, oh, my mom, but, you know, I know what my mom did and I share my experiences as a child, but I don't use that as my crutch. No. Well, because she ain't do this, this, no, I'm going to unlearn that and I'm going to do it differently. So I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, and my mom and I have had multiple conversations about this and I, I try and, you know, I say every time. Don't ever think that like, I'm blaming you for anything. Mm -hmm. Like totally what you said, this is what you knew. You were doing what you 
like felt was the best way. And so I know that you were showing up as with, with totally like with love and support of how you thought that you should. And that's like, I don't blame her in the least, exactly. you know, at all. Um, but it, it definitely has shaped how I want to show up as a parent or Mm -hmm. things that I have loved, you know, the things that she instilled in me that I like will cherish forever, but also Mm -hmm. things that I'm like, how can I maybe, you know, show up like she did, but just teach it in a different way. And I also think each kid is so different. And I'm sure you, you can attest to that with children. Like just because I teach my oldest a certain way does not mean that my second is going to learn the same way. So it's almost like learning to be flexible and approaching the situation like for that specific child instead of just like a blanket statement, you know? Exactly. Yep. I agree. I agree. And so kind of back to being 18 and completely reckless was I, I told, I was exactly that. Like I went from never experimenting not even really like letting myself think about it because I felt like it was a sin to even consider it. Like it was a, it was a sin to even like think that I would enjoy alcohol or having sex with my boyfriend because Mm -hmm. it was a sin. It was shunned upon. Right. Exactly. And who was I going to talk to about it? Like all my other Mormon friends who were also being taught the same thing. No, (laughs) you know, like who do you talk to about it? My mom? Absolutely not. And so you have to find it elsewhere. Like you, you go to parties and you experiment and then that's kind of how you learn. And so I had some really rough lessons that first several months. And I was completely like, I think I was in shock to just even like, be like, Oh, wow. Like what just happened? How can I learn from this? Where do I go? And I think that because, because I came home, right. I called my mom and I was like, Oh, you went back home. Mm -hmm. I went back home because I was so terrified because I, I literally went from like doing nothing to within six weeks, done everything like six weeks, six weeks. Like it was like, go to church every day, never talk about anything to like, let's have sex. Let's do drugs. Let's drink alcohol. Let's all these things. And I was like, what has happened? And so I called my mom and I was like, actually, I didn't call my mom. I called a really close friend who Mm -hmm. was kind of like, they had stepped in when I was in high school and they kind of became like surrogate parents to help my mom with me and my brother. So I called her and I was like, I'm not going to give details but holy shit. I don't know if this is a, but <laughs> no, I was you're like, fine. Cursing I, is okay. <laughs> and I was like, I need like support. I, I need something. And so she was like, great. How about I be the one to let your mom know? We'll get this all figured out. I came home. I had a conversation with my mom, made her emotionally sick, which I can understand as a parent, Aww. made her emotionally sick. She didn't talk to me for like three <gasps> days, probably oh, because gosh. she was like trying to work it out herself, which I didn't even know how I wanted her to respond, but not talking to me was like devastating. And, um, so I stayed at home and I almost like locked myself in my house for a while. And I was trying to like process like what had happened, how I was going to move forward, all these things. And my mom said, you should probably go talk to the Bishop. 
because you know when you're a Mormon, that's kind of like being like a Catholic. You yep. going to the the to the, the priest, priest or priest. No, yeah yeah to the Best. priest in that little cubby hole <laughs> in that like four by two yeah mm-hmm. little space yeah and you need to go like confess all of these sins and I was like yikes um I don't want to talk to him I don't want to talk to <laughs> to a male about this and I also don't even know like if I'm ready like it's only been six weeks. And I, this person has known me my whole life. Like they have watched me grow up. I don't necessarily feel like I should go into his office alone and express what had just happened and what I had just been through. Like I didn't feel comfortable, but it was very like urged, like Chris, you need to do this. Now, quick question in the Mormon community, is the Bishop seen as like the head therapist? Yeah, I mean, this is the person that is like the, he leads that community. So in each, in each city or each town, there's like a, they're called wards. So you're like divided into a certain ward, depending on like where you live, your boundaries. And then that's the person that you go to as like. Because you don't go, do you step outside and go see an actual therapist in the morning? Is that something that's encouraged? You can. Oh, you um, can. Okay. It's not yeah, shunned upon or not. No, you don't do that. Okay. No, but I would say that a lot of the time, and again, I'm just speaking on my experience. A lot of the time, like if I was referred to a therapist, it was like a Mormon therapist. You know I what I mean? See. I see. So you stay within that community, everything within that community. But the first thing yeah. I've always heard, even in Investigation Discovery, I'm a queen of watching that show and I've seen some stuff. First thing. Go talk to the bishop. Yep. <laughs> you gotta go to the bishop, sister. Yeah, that's like, that is kind of like the the go-to. And so kind okay. of to go back to that, this is the same guy, right? That had, when I was 17 years old, I, I had my first, um, I was dating a boy and I let him touch my boobs. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, like now I feel dirty. I feel like it was a sin. I have to go talk to my bishop. When really on the inside, I was like, yes, because who doesn't love their boobs touched at 17? Like that feels good. But But you know, that's the scary part. Carl, can you, you okay, you're 17, someone's touching your boobs. And the first thing that comes to my, oh my God, I need to go talk to my bishop. My boobs were touched. Yeah. And then you have to go and sit in front of this dude and say like, my boyfriend was like fondling my boobs and it felt so good, but I feel so bad. I don't know. Oh, it's like, Lord. Is the bishop always trip. a male? Mm-hmm. Never always a female. A so you're telling me even now in 2021, there is no female bishop. No female bishop. Mm-mm. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So Very there interesting. comes in the male patriarchy, right? It's just mm-hmm. like... I was listening, I was listening to this podcast episode of This American Life, and it was talking about this, about how as a, and this was just based on Mormons, but I'm sure with, with other churches, I'm not sure kind of how the the whole like confession stuff goes, but I remember them specifically touching on that in the episode and being like, in what world would you, in what other scenario would you allow your 15 year old daughter to be alone in a room with a male that's like 40, 40, you, your daughter's 15 
and confess your sins and have him be like, can you describe to me like how that happened? So you're, you're basically describing this sexual experience to a male alone in a room. Like it's very like, would I ever approve that of that for like my daughter? No, I would never think that that was like, quote unquote, normal. Ever. Ever. I agree with you. It's very similar to the Catholic community when they go into the priest to do their confession, to confess their sins. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm not Catholic. I wasn't into that. I went to Catholic school all my life from first grade to 12th grade. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was always the eyeball because I was Baptist. So even though I went to the Catholic school, I wasn't doing the Catholic things. I just was submerged upon it. But heck, we're told, you know, as a Baptist, you pray to look, you pray to God. That's it. You know, and I would never want my daughter to go speak to a pastor. We can speak to you, pray about it, reflect on it. But what is this grown ass man got to tell you? Or I'm going to be in the room. Yes. Yes. Or I'm going to be in the room. Or like, I just wish that um maybe like finding solace and comfort in like yourself and your intuition and like what higher power or God is like telling you instead of seeking outside validation that you are now unworthy. Yes. Um, and so it was kind of like, it was like that again. Right. So being back to my boob story when I was 17 and now I'm unworthy. So I'm unworthy now to go to the temple for a month. And I now have to not partake of the sacrament, which is the, you know, basically going up and taking like the bread and wine. I can no longer do that. So now I'm sitting in this tiny little Mormon town. Everyone knows me in the middle of sacrament. People can see me and I can't take, I can't take the sacrament because I'm unworthy. And now my mom is thinking, why aren't you taking the sacrament? What have you done? Mm. So now it, now it causes like contention between me and my mom. And now I have to be like, oh my gosh, I let him touch my boobs. And then it's like, how dare you? Like, yeah, you're seen as an abomination. Yes. Yes. And now I'm like disappointing my mom. Now I'm basically like wearing an S, right? The scarlet letter. Like now I'm wearing this on my chest of like, oh my gosh, Chris isn't taking the sacrament. What did she do? And it's like, I felt like I had to live. It almost teaches you, right? To live in secrecy, because if you don't, you're going to be looked up, looked upon, frowned upon and judged. And who the fuck wants to be judged? Nobody. So then it teaches you to keep it inside instead of just live truthfully. That's why it starts when you're young. The humiliation, the shame and the judgment starts when you're young. Your parents don't even realize they're doing it. And then now as an adult, I have to deal with society doing it to me. But when you look back, my parents have been doing this to me, judging me, humiliating me. When we compare our children, I hate that. I remember I said, I will, and I, till, till this day, I've never compared my child to someone else's child. That is the worst thing you can do. Worst. Well, Susie Ann over here is getting straight A's in school. What the fuck does Susie Ann has to do with me? 
And this is what I'm telling you. As parents, yeah. we don't realize we're doing the same shit that mm -hmm. society does to us when we're adults comparing and judging. But, mm -hmm. you know, I hate parents who think like they were never teenagers. They are perfect. They never made mistakes. They never did drugs, never did alcohol. We're not telling you to keep things, to divulge all your business to your kids. No. But let your kids realize that, honey, I made mistakes too. Honey, I'm not perfect. Right. No. I understand what you're going through, but we don't talk to our children like that because we always act as though we are superior to our children, not realizing these are blessings that were given to us for mm -hmm. us to lead and guide to the best of our abilities for the first 18 years of their life. And we have to do the best that we know how to do. But no, yeah. we have this superior attitude and our children are inferior and yeah. parents don't realize they do that. And we do. And they do. And even myself, I had to catch myself a couple of times like, wait, Shirley, scale back, scale mm -hmm. back. What are you doing? I've apologized to my kids. And girl, that feels weird. <laughs> it really does. But no, it I really does. Girl. Well, and I think that like what we've talked about, too, of in society of like showing that you live like a perfect life and that there's really like showing up on Instagram or showing up on social media in general, like, Hey, this is a beautiful family. Like we're doing yeah. so well. And I'm like, no, when is that ever? Like, it's okay to show up also as like just a real human. And that's what people relate to anyway. Like, I mean, yeah, aesthetically your feed looks really beautiful, but like, other mm -hmm. than that, I mean, what else, what else is there? And so I think that from such a young age, when you are shamed or judged, it kind of leads you to lead that more aesthetically pleasing looking life and not acknowledge when you're like, whoa, okay, shit is getting real. Absolutely. How, how do I deal with it? Instead of putting on a mask, instead of just being like transparent. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. They don't prepare us for that's what they don't prepare us for because mm -hmm. it's not normalized as a child. Like it's not normalized to say mistakes are okay, but learn from them, grow from them. No, I'm going to shame you and I'm going to let you know how much of a piece of shit you are because of what you did. You let a boy touch your boobs, you're fucking shit. Do you hear me? Oh, totally. <laughs> well, and then, girl, oh my gosh. So this whole thing happened, right, with my bishop. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing happened with my boobs at 17. And then at 18, when I had gone through this whole thing in the matter of six weeks, and I finally was just like, whatever, I'll just go to the bishop. The bishop was completely, I mean, what do you do when somebody comes to you and tells you basically like everything you've been teaching them, right? For their whole life, they just went and like erased all of that. I think he was completely in shock. I mean, I've known this man my whole life. So now whether he wants to or not, he's going to view me differently. Like uh -huh. it's he just is. how it is. So yeah, great. God gives you the lens of being like his service, you know, like you're in the service of the Lord. Great, but that still doesn't mean you're a human and you're going to now be like, oh shit. Like every time you see me, you're now all those like visions that I just told you in our meeting are going to pop up. Like it's just natural. It's a human thing. And so when you're Mormon and you confess sins that like strictly go against everything you're taught, like having sex and breaking the word of wisdom and all of these things. You, there ha there's consequences. So as an 18 year old girl, 
I now have to face church court, which means yeah, girl, just listen what? to this. Just <laughs> I'm listen sorry to, to laugh. And for any Mormon out there, listen, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but girl, the what? Mm-hmm. So church court at 18, where a board of old white men, I have to go and sit in front of them. And Are there black people in the Mormon church? Or very rare do you find black people? Well, I guess I can't speak for the church as a whole. However, up until I think the 80s, and I don't want to be quoted on this, but I think it was up until like sometime in the 80s, black, there was like no black, black people within the church. Okay, so I guess now they're accepting because you could always convert. I know people who converted into uh, what's the plural Mormon Mormonism. Yeah, 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 and totally. And like, yeah. And so like missionaries were not going to like outside of the U.S. really. And I think that I mean, I can almost I think that you could maybe even be a person of color of any like Asian descent. um. Latinx, like any, you could be a, you could be other than a white person, right? But you couldn't Uh hold a like leadership position. I see. Okay. So that's Mm -hmm. still something that's not, they're not doing. You can convert as a Mormon, but don't even think about going into any type of leadership. And when you say leadership, I'm assuming the bishop and those people who are in that courtroom that you're Mm -hmm. about to see. Bishop, um, like stake president, mission president, quorum of the 12 apostles, the prophet, like they're, it's very rare that you see somebody of color. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not, that it hasn't happened, but it's extremely rare. Like it's usually white men. I mean, I gotcha. And that makes sense. I totally understand. I get it. And so, but I mean, that's even a whole other piece that I didn't even realize. Like, I'm like, what religion have I been a part of? That's like, systemically like it's a racist religion what the fuck have I been like indoctrinated to believe like without even being like told that but just like this is what we represent Mm -hmm. and it's all white people so it's very it's um, not girl it's not even more when you think about okay Mormon but then you think of Buddhism when you think of Buddhism you automatically think of the Asians when you think of Muslims you automatically think of Indian Pakistan yeah. You understand? So it's several, even though right now in 2021, there are people of different nationalities converting. Yeah. But mainly just those two examples, when you think of those, those are the ethnicities that you think about associated with Buddhism or Muslim. And if you think of Muslim, you automatically think, oh, they're from India. No, that's not true. No, because there are Asian Muslims, they are um, African Muslims, but you automatically associate it with one race. So I get what you're saying. I totally can relate and understand. But yeah, let me hear about this courtroom in your church that you're now presented with because of the activities that you have done within the last six weeks mm-hmm. and what so, the consequences. And uh, girl, are the consequences going to shock me? Let me hear this. Consequences. Oh my gosh. So. I now have to present like basically this exact same thing, which now, I mean, it was traumatic. So now I'm just reliving this shit like over and over. Cause I have to like present it to a board of 
these men who have watched me as a child grow up and now I have to like sit in front of them and basically be like, this is what happened. And you don't just say like, I had sex. You like give detail. So they like ask you questions upon this and like where your heart is sitting. And I'm just like, my heart doesn't know what just happened. So I can't really like ask me that in a year. I don't know. But anyway, I, at this time, this was like right before I was supposed to go to college again. And originally I was enrolled to go to college in Phoenix. I Mm -hmm. was going to play softball and I obviously walked away from all of that. So now it was time to find a new school. And my mom was like, well, how about you just go to Flagstaff? It's an hour away. So you're still Mm -hmm. close, but you're not in town. There's a great Mormon community. I was like, oh God, what do I feel about Mormons right now? I wasn't even sure, but it was all I knew, right? (laughs) And so she made me, um, when I was looking for a place to stay, she was like, you better just live with Mormons. And I was like, I guess. So she, you know, helps like secure my deposit with these five other Mormon girls. And during this time, my bishop was like, let's give you, so I had already kind of met with these men and had- had presented. And he said, let's give it three months to just like sit. And during this time, we'll be praying, we'll be, you know, deciding God will be speaking to us and letting us know how we should proceed. And I was like, great, whatever. And so went off to college. Didn't really change what I was doing. Like, I was just like, you know what, whatever alcohol drowns it out. Like if you want to forget shit and you just want to have a really great time, drink a bottle or two of wine, right? Or exactly whatever. So I was just kind of, I was living with these Mormon girls. I was kind of doing Mormon things. Like I would sometimes go to church. I would go to Mormon activities, whatever. And the three months came up and I traveled back home ready for my court. And they- Ready for your reappearance, girl. Mormons, I'm telling you, don't be upset with me because this is, this is just to me funny. Yeah, it's a it really trip. is. It's a but trip. I'm not trying to be disrespectful towards the religion. I'm going to put that out there because I know I may have Mormons that listen, but this is crazy. Well, maybe they can give like if they've had a similar experience or haven't and they have, you know, like it's it's always great to hear somebody else's experience. True. So, so now you have to thing. reappear into court. Your your <laughs> your new court date. Yes, new court date, ready to go. And I come in and they were like, "How have you been living your life these last 3 months?" And I was like, uh, like a college student. I don't know. Eating McDonald's, drinking five times a week and like having a really great time. And they were like, "Mm, God has told us that you should be. And we all prayed together, like at the end of this. Okay. So we're like praying the Bishop is like, God, what's the best thing for this? We're kind of like sitting in silence for a while. We stand up and he's like, you know what? God has said that you need to be disfellowshipped, which means that you don't lose your membership in the church. You just lose your, um, what is that? Like, I can't speak in church. I can't hold a calling. I can't really do anything. I have to like retake the missionary lessons, um, just this sounds like you're losing your membership to the club. Yeah, basically. Like they're like, listen, we yeah. don't really like you that much anymore. Um, and then that was that. Like, okay, we need to get you on like a church advisory plan, like how you're going to get reinstated. And I was like, 
okay, still not really like really understanding or grasping and a kind of just kind of like a fuck you all type of feel. The way you're looking at me now, I can see your face then when you were going through this situation, like like, all in your mind, like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. (laughs) That was totally it. And so I was just like, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll see you hopefully never. So I go back to school and I'm on like a church advisory council where now you just go to another bishop, right? Another, whatever ward I'm in, the bishop contacts you and are like, I hear that you have been disfellowshipped. Let's get you back to the fold. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like I'll meet with you, whatever. And I actually did really like this dude. I liked this bishop. He was super laid back, low key. I think he actually had a child who had like left the church. So I think that he was more like, uh, down I guess with like maybe what I was going through and so he was very low-key very just there as like a support person he was extremely kind um but he he referred me to read this book written by a prophet back in like the 1980s okay I I should have looked up what this book was called but it was written by President Spencer W. Kimball, and I can't remember the name, but it was basically talking about sin and how you could come back from sin. This book should never be read ever if you are like already feeling like a piece of shit because he, I mean, he really does say like sexual sin is next to murder in the church. So it's basically like murder is unforgivable. And sexual sin is second next to murder. So it was like, you're basically like the worst human. Can you imagine that as an 18 year old person reading these words? I'm already like, I'm fucked. Like I am literally a piece of shit. How will anybody want to be with me? I've defiled my body. How would a a boy want to ever marry me now? Like all these thoughts going through my head. As an this is a book. Oh my gosh. And people are actually reading this. And I guarantee you, there are people that are reading this book like, oh my God, this is it. This is the word. Because obviously you think opposite of it, but you know, there's another human being out there that think this book is life. Oh yeah. Well, and why is it being recommended? And is it, I, I don't know if it's still recommended. I'm like, this was a decade, more than a decade ago. So maybe it's not even recommended, but why was it ever recommended? recommended. Like, if a true sin, like somebody who had been through all of the things that he was writing about in this book. If somebody had been through that and was like a church leader and was reading it, they should have immediately been like, whoa, we should never recommend this book to somebody who's already thinking of themselves so low, who's already living a shame-based lifestyle. Like they should never read this book. This is maybe like a book to recommend once they're 10 years down the road, but not Mm -hmm. a book to read when you're in the middle of it. And so I started reading this book and, and it almost was just made me even more be like Mormons are fucking psychos. Like this oh. is an awful, this is, this is insane. And, but I was still kind of like immersing myself in like the college culture. I was going to like, cause when you're in a singles ward as a Mormon, they have a bunch of like singles activities, right. That you go to and you immerse yourself so that you can meet your mate and get What's- married What's a singles ward within the college? So a singles ward is when you move to college and you're a single Mormon person, you join a singles ward. Girl, if you've never watched Singles Ward, it's a movie, you need to watch it. It is totally like the epitome of what it's like to be a Mormon person and go to like 
church as a single person instead of like as a family, like Uh in a family. But I remember this one, this one time I went and these are pretty big. Like my ward was pretty big. There was probably 500 people that were all singles. Right. Okay. So I show up at this activity and it's like a Halloween dance party, whatever. Okay. And before you start a event, you pray. And then after the event, you pray. So it was like 1130, you know, because Mormons have that curfew of got to be home by midnight. I don't know if that's a real thing, but kind of seems like it. And anyway, the the events ending at like 1130. This girl standing next to me is like in charge of the whole thing. And she has the microphone and she's like, okay, we're going to end with a prayer. And she turns to me and says, hey, can you give our prayer? Now, remember, I've been disfellowshipped. I cannot give the prayer. Like it's against policy for me to give a prayer. And I said, oh, I can't. And over the microphone, she's like, stop acting like a, like, I can't remember what she said, but like, stop acting like a brat, like just give the prayer. And I was like, no, like I can't, like, I can't give the prayer. She thought that I was just like refusing to give the prayer. Gotcha. And she was so unkind to me over the mic in front of 400 people. And I was like, bitch, like I wanted to be like, you know, but I was so shamed for the fact that I wasn't now in front of 400 other peers. And she's making me look like I'm just being like a whiny bitch for not wanting to give the prayer when essence, that wasn't it at all. I'm totally given the prayer. I'm not embarrassed to be on a microphone in front of people, but I couldn't. It was against policy. And I, I feel like myself now would be like, listen, and like actually probably just like broadcast that in front of everybody. But when I was that age and already shamed for that, I was like, it almost just kept like pounding me down to like, you aren't worthy. You aren't good enough. And I was just like, this now is I- scary mm-hmm. to, to to hear you say the words. It was against policy to give a prayer. It's prayer. Now, of course, I am not the one to be making any extra comments about the Mormon life. But to me, that just sounds wrong. It's a prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a prayer. And you know, th- there might be someone I hear that when they listen to this episode that may have a more deeper explanation to provide me. And that's great. I'm willing to listen. But to, yeah. it's against policy. I've been disfellowship. I cannot pray. Like I that could pray. alone, that's wrong. I don't, girl, I don't care if it was 20 people in the room. Mm-hmm. It's a prayer. Right. Well, and really, <laughs> God, the God that I worship is a God that loves you and accepts you. Exactly. No matter or not, if you've had sex or been drinking five seconds before you say the prayer, he still loves you and knows your heart. Like, why can't I then bless, you know, everybody else. He accepted Mary, the prostitute. Right. So I'm just Girl. like, it doesn't make sense with like the deeper teachings of we're, a, we're a Christ centered church. We teach how to love, we teach how to accept, we teach how to, um, bring people together, but mm-hmm. eh, you made a mistake. So now you're not allowed to speak in front of everybody when really that should almost be like nurtured. Like maybe other people in the audience could relate to you. Maybe they're suffering, going through the same shit you are and just can't find their voice to talk about it. Like maybe you could help them. So it should almost be like the exact opposite, but girl, 
that whole entire experience, I think really tainted my view and not on, because people in any religion can be dicks, right? Anybody can be a mean, unkind person. I'm not saying that Mormons are bad and mean people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that my experiences with the people who were following the teachings and the guidelines of the Mormon church like instilled shit and like into my mind that was just grounded in there and kind of laid the the framework for my entire like tornado brain for the next several years because I felt so much shame around everything and that I was literally like I was just a fucking tornado everywhere. There's like wrecking everything in my path, not even understanding like what I was doing and understanding that it was coming from the end, like loving myself. Like I I had no self-love, but I was trying to find love anywhere, anywhere that could, that I could find it. Literally. I was just reaching. I wanted anybody to love me. And even if that was just for like five minutes and that's what led to all of it. I mean, led to infidelity in my marriage, led to a divorce that led to me even yet at 26 being like, what am I doing with my life? Where am Mm -hmm. I? Like, how have I come here? Like what is happening? And then starting to actually do the deeper inner work because for so long I'd been trying to find validation outside because that's what I had been taught. Go to a Bishop, go to a Bishop. He'll help you. He'll save you. He'll tell you what you need to do. No, like I needed to learn how to love myself first. It starts with us. It starts with us. And don't feel bad. Let me tell you, all religions have guidelines. It's not just Mormons. It's not. No matter what religion you come from, they have a strict guideline that you have to follow. And when it comes to sex, when it comes to drugs, when it comes to all those things, they're all like huge sins. And if you do them, you're an abomination. I like that word because that's what they see you as, an abomination, an abomination. But women like you and us, we're learning to normalize this stuff through our podcasts mm-hmm. to let people know, listen, life is not always cakes, cupcakes and peaches and roses. There are bad times and it is okay. To, I'm having a bad day. Not today. Not right now. Things aren't going good. Life happens. Life sucks sometimes. But you're right. It all starts with you. And it's those layers when you were children. As you got older now, you're starting to peel back. You're mm. starting to be like, oh, that's the reason why. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and how do you, too, though, as a spouse, right, who's now kind of just put your husband through a bunch of shit, how do you then come to him later and say, that wasn't me. That was a, that was a version of me who hated myself, who Mm -hmm. didn't understand. Like it doesn't, sorry is not enough. Like saying that is not enough. And Mm -hmm. so it's hard to then, you have to like leave this, this thing in ashes that will never come back. It will never, it's not a Phoenix, right? It doesn't come back in the ashes. So now you have to step away from the ashes that you just burnt, rebuild a whole nother life and figure out your values now and Mm -hmm. how you're never going to let that shit happen again with yourself or with your children. So it's like, 
it, it really, to me, felt like I was starting an entire new life because I was like having to dig so deep inside of myself to be like, okay, let's unlearn all the shit you learned. Exactly. Let's now figure out what do I believe? What, how can I change? How can I love myself? How can I show up? And it, it was a complete, like, it was, it took a few years. I mean, to even feel back to myself, it was like finding who I was again. And when was I ever that person? Because starting at such a young age, I was taught all of the doctrines within a strict religion that I don't ever know if I was able to like establish who I truly was. And so it was almost like finding myself for the first time, because I had never been that person. I had never, at least I felt like I'd never been given the choice Mm -hmm. to be that person. And so now, now that I feel so liberated in that, it's like, I want to just fucking scream it from the rooftops. And I, I had somebody ask me the question the other day. It's like, why do you want to scream it? Like, why do you want to show up and talk about these things? Right. And be so transparent. And I'm like, it's in hopes that somebody else who is either going through what I went through or is raising a teen and is kind of like instilling in them those beliefs that they can be like, oh shit, like long-term effects, what's going to happen? And like, hopefully instill that people can change and you can unlearn and you Mm -hmm. can come out like happier and better and completely build a life that you want to live. Um, but girl, I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I wouldn't have gone through and made all of those mistakes that I did, or even just like make those choices that I make. I don't know if I would have been able to find this life and build this life that I have now, because I feel like I'm finally choosing it. Like I am totally choosing the way that I live my life. And I don't know if I would have ever done that. But those experiences are testimonies. You took that negative in your life and you have intentionally turned it into a positive. And not everybody does that because we have the human beings that want to blame every single day of their life. Everything they do is based on uh, my childhood. My father was an alcoholic. My father was this. My mother was this. I wasn't loved. I wasn't this. But what are you doing to change that? Mm-hmm. They did the best that they could. There's no manual to this thing called life. There's no manual to parent being a parent. But once you get older and you know right from wrong, what are you doing to change that? Are you just going to blame for the rest of your life? Which is, it sucks for people who do that. I don't like people who do that. You know, you can speak about it in a way where this happened in my childhood, this happened in my childhood, but this is what I'm doing to combat it. This is what I'm doing to change it. Don't sit there and just say, my mom sucks. My dad sucks. My mom did this. My mom, they did the best that they could. All right, let's just get over that. And what are you doing to better your life now? Exactly. You know, I have a question for you. One, do you think there are children in the Mormon community that goes through the same experiences that you go through, but yet they lie Mm. right in front of their parents' face, right in front of their bishop's face and just modify the Mormon life when need be? Because you were truthful. Your boobs were touched. You went to the bishop. You left at 18. You came back at six weeks. Your mom said, go to the bishop. You went to the bishop. So you were like a goody girl because every wrong you did, you told someone Mm -hmm. and what they tell you, go to the bishop. But how many people in the Mormon community are having sex and are just not saying anything about it? 
and are modifying it as they need be. How many people are drinking alcohol and going to the temple and not Mm. saying anything about it? And we will never know unless someone chooses to confess about it. But I guarantee you it's happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had I have friends like even. Oh, okay. So, you know, of people. Okay, so it is happening. All right. But but I really do think that it all stems down. I mean, I even said it, right? I was scared. I was fearful of getting in trouble that I would rather just, you know, word vomit it all out than just like hold it in because Mm -hmm. that shit eats at me. Like I can't hold shit in. Like even when I cheated on my husband, I was not able to hold that in for long, like days, hours, like because- I know people, I have friends who have had full-blown affairs for longer than like a year, two years. They ne- they live separate lives. Like they literally don't oh, say it. I couldn't like. There are people that will take it to the grave. There's two parts to infidelity. You either tell your significant other or you take it to the grave and they oh, never yeah. find out. That's it. Now, how old were you when you got married? Gosh, 21. Okay. And how many years into the relationship was the infidelity? This is, this is a deeper subject. So really quick though, guess who was my Bishop when I was, when I was preparing to be married and having to confess all of my sins, his dad. So now I'm sitting in front of my future father-in-law as my Bishop. Wait, did you get back into the, like, did, did they give you your membership back? (laughs) That's what I'm going to call. Girl. (laughs) Okay. So I, my husband my, my first husband was, he had grown up Mormon, but he was kind of on the same path as me. Like we had both strayed and we, that's kind of where we found each other. Right. Is in our straying years. But then together we were like, you know what, maybe together we could become Mormon again, start a family because again, it's indoctrinated into your brain that this Mm -hmm. is what you need to do to have a happy life. And with both of our family still being extremely Mormon, Um, it just seemed like that's what we should do, right? The should monster. This is what you should do. So together we became Mormon again. And through that, I had to be reinstated because I had never gotten my membership back. So I was like, well, shit, I got to go to a bishop again. And I got to confess all these sins from the past two years, right? All of my sins in college that had now piled the fuck up, right? And I was like, oh God. So had to show up and just so happens that my bishop in the ward that I was in was his father. So I'm now sitting in front of my future father-in-law giving him my sins. Again, how is he ever supposed to think differently of me? Like he, great, God gave him this bishop lens yeah, the fuck right. Like he totally. You told him all your business, girl. Girl, all of it. Mm. So he knew, like, and he'd be like, "So how many people have you slept with?" And I'm like, "Uh, like a lot." And he'd be like, "Okay, but like numbers." And I'm like, "Why does that matter? Like, what is?" But the... you told them, didn't you? Because mm-hmm. I mean, you're supposed oh, to. You're supposed to. Girl, so... me, let it be me. I would have said whatever made your little heart happy. Just one. That would have been me, especially if it's a total stranger. See, it's I think of it. It's different if it's like my husband. I'll be honest. That bishop. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. But he was my he was going to be my future father in law. So I was like, well, how he's supposed to know how many people you slept with. He wasn't in the room with you. You could have threw any number at that man. 
God probably would have told him. God would have told him that I was lying. Yeah, I, I was love like, you. I was like, yeah. I don't know. She said I don't want to no. fuck around with God, especially if he's really talking to you. I was like, oh, so, no, I can't. Oh my gosh. So that was a trip in itself, right? So he's the one who like reinstated me. Okay. Me and my, we got married in the temple. We got our garments. We all the, everything, right? I abstained from drinking. We didn't have sex before we got married. Like it was all these things, right? And I didn't have sex. Wait a minute. You didn't have sex with your husband before you got married. Mm -hmm. So you didn't know if y'all, out of everybody you slept with, you chose your husband to be the one that you didn't sleep with. Am I understanding this correctly? It's a backwards way, right? Like it's yes, backwards. I'm, I'm yeah. understanding this correctly, right? You're already not a virgin, you know? Had sex with multiple people. But mm-hmm. I'm going to choose one individual not to sleep with, and that's going to be my husband. But it's it's the proof, right? It's a proof to God that I am now worthy to enter into his temple. I'm clean. I'm clean mm-hmm. now, even though mm-hmm. my vagina has had several things, yeah, you've, right? You've been experienced, Yeah. So you don't even know if sexual compatibility is going to be good. Have no idea. Okay. No, we don't have okay. any idea. But I mean, okay. it was it was fine. It was great. It was it really wasn't. A, it was fine. It was great. Okay. So we abstained, right? We ended up going to the temple, whatever. That was fine. Um, and really, probably for the first year and a half, I was like so devoted to the Mormon church of like, I would read my scriptures. I was praying like daily going to church, like immersing myself back in the culture, just being like, you know, I am now doing good. I am choosing the right. I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But inside I still felt like shit. Like I still felt all of this shame and guilt and guess where that was stemming from. I didn't have self-love. I did not love myself at all. So how was I a supposed to love him and how was he supposed to know how I needed to be loved when I was just building walls? Like I was building walls all around me. And I want to clarify something also for both me and the listeners. It's not the praying or the scriptures or the Lord or anything like that that was bothering you. It was other issues that were eating you up inside because oh, yeah. I want to make sure people are understanding because You could go to church all day and it's still not like the connection is not there because you cannot pray. You cannot pray away. You cannot pray away shame or guilt. Like exactly. Okay. Like Like you didn't have a problem reading the scripture or doing, it was just, there was something bugging you and things weren't fitting right. Okay. Things were not fitting. And it was, it felt so like, it felt so infuriating because I'm like, mm-hmm. here I am married in the church, um, doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, right? Everything I'm taught. And why the fuck don't I feel better? Why do I still mm-hmm. not feel loved? Why do I still not feel like this hole inside of me has been mended? Because that's what the bishop said, right? The bishop said, repent for your sins, read your scriptures, go to church, become a mom, and you will feel whole, Chris. Guess what? I still felt not whole empty. Yeah, at all. Empty. And my husband, there's nothing he could have done to make me feel whole. There's really not. And he was traveling at the time. So that was just another reason that I could be like, I'm not loved. I'm going to see you were stay at home mom. That. Mm-hmm. But okay. I wasn't, I was a stay at home mom for a while. And then I was like, I need something. 
I need to be busy. And so I started working. I, that's when I really jumped into like being an aerialist and becoming like workout, right? Like I was working out, I was working, I was. What's an aerialist? Is that like a gymnast? Yeah, girl, like the circus. I would like climb those, climb those curtains. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I did that. Um, I was literally just trying to just keep myself busy. Um, And through all of that, like through him being gone all the time and me not loving myself, I definitely was just, I was just on a slippery slope and I was looking for anybody that would like, and not even necessarily intentionally. It's not that I would like join apps where I was like looking for it, but it just Mm -hmm. naturally happened. I was like 22 years old. Super. I mean, I have a bunch of energy. I love people. I love connecting with people. And so I think that just naturally, I mean, I'd have dudes that were like, what's up? You know, like you're a stay at home mom and your husband's gone all the time. And I was like, yeah, like, mm." Um, it was, it was like, even just thinking back, I'm like, oh God, like it makes me feel so like, I look at her, me then and I was so sad on the inside and it had nothing to do with like, because he was traveling. It was because I didn't love myself and I don't, there was nothing that could have happened. And you realize now, and this is a good example of, it is not your partner's responsibility to make you feel whole. You should already be whole and together when you enter into the union, because it is not your partner's job. He's he or she is not in control Mm. of your happiness. No, that starts with you. Mm -hmm. 100%. And with him, I mean, like I've said it before too. It's not that like he was making me unhappy, right? There was nothing Mm -hmm. in our marriage that was like, he was doing something like, absolutely not. It Mm -hmm. literally, I could have married anyone and Mm -hmm. the same shit would have happened because of where I was. It devastates me that, yeah, that's now my child's dad. And he is still hurt, like rightfully so, right? Um, But I'm also on the other end where I'm like, you can only say sorry so much. You can only change your life so much. Like, like what, where is that? um, It's hard to watch somebody who you loved, who you had a life with. You hurt them, right? You Mm -hmm. hurt them really deeply. And you've moved on. You've created a really happy life for you and have completely changed. And yeah, he's moved on. He is now married. They have kids, beautiful family. Mm -hmm. But I know that they're still hurt. And I don't, I don't know if that will ever go away. And it's hard to, I I still take that on a little bit. Like I still feel guilt because I'm the one who caused all of that like tornado chaos within his life at the time. With the infidelity. for tuning in to Fampale Podcast. If you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways, I want to hear from you. Head on over to the website or join our Facebook community and comment your favorite part of the show or share your thoughts. 
I want to hear what you have to say. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.